This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Hey, welcome to Ian Weekly. This is your host, Todd DeVoe, speaking with Daniel Scott. And today, morning. We, <laughs> good morning, Daniel. We're just talking about uh, uh, about grumpiness and stuff like this. And and Daniel or I are not grumpy in the morning. Uh, just so, so we'll we'll try to smile more for you if that, <laughs> if that works out, right, Daniel? Yeah, I'll I'll do my best. <laughs> so today we have uh, a wonderful guest, uh, Doctor uh, Shirley Feldman Jensen from. Um, from Cal State uh, Fullerton, basically. And she's a global thinker and leader with uh, policy expertise in intersection of disaster, risk management, and human outcomes. And scholarly activities focus on foundations that can advance the professionalism of emergency management, emergency services sector. And that's one of the things that we discuss a lot is the idea of how do we really move emergency management onto the next uh, level, if you will, uh, as far as professionalism and realistically, higher education and, and having great body of work is where it's at. And I think uh, we'll have a great conversation. So uh, Shirley, welcome to EM Weekly. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for having me. I Good do morning. have a correction. I'm from California State University, Long Beach. Did I say Fullerton? Yes. You know why? Because that's where I went to school and Cal State Fullerton is, you know, no, just joking. I, I do that all the time because you know it's like it's that it's the you know the familiarization, right? You know when you're that's the thing that's in your mind. So I do apologize about that. And uh, Cal State Long Beach is a very good school too. Just let you know. Although our baseball team is better than yours. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure to be here. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about this uh the the purpose of the ethics in sig well uh, as you know as as sig is a special interest group and through the fema higher education program they have offered the opportunities to have special interest groups exist nationally and so the the special interest group's mission is to host an ongoing collective discourse. I'm going to just read this because to get the mission statement correct is really important. The mission of the ethics SIG is to host an ongoing collective discourse, which moves towards the formation of an emergency management ethical framework. And it articulates how to best incorporate ethics instruction into our emergency management education programs. And the objectives of the special interest group is to continue an in-depth dialogue about the ethical values for emergency management in the domains of action, research, and policy. We reason together to discern and the essential components of an ethical framework for 21st century emergency management. And our third objective is to move collectively towards a recognized emergency management professional ethical framework. So the fourth objective is to explore how to best teach ethics in emergency management programs 
and finally to publish ethics accomplishments and achievements. So that's really the purpose, the mission, and our objectives of the special interest group. I am the co-lead, and um, Dr. Sandy Smith is the other co-lead. She's from Arkansas Tech University. So why why is ethics important? I mean, I know in, in general, right? I mean, ethics for everybody should be looking at this all the time. But in emergency management specifically, you know, what is the ethical conundrums that we run into um, with emergency management? Well, as you know, values-based decision-making is an indispensable element in any set of disaster risk management and resilient building considerations. And primarily, I would say that it's beyond our, our personal actions and decisions, but it's how do we infuse ethics into our stakeholder discussions? Because we're about risk management mm -hmm. and about resilience building in a community. So how do we engage our stakeholders and infuse the ethics so that all people are represented fairly and equally? So the special interest group uh, in general, so what is, um, what's the makeup of the group? What's the, the, the members of the group? How diverse is it? We have approximately 25 members at this point. Uh, we span the geography of the United States, with exception of Hawaii. I would still like to recruit someone from Hawaii. And um, we have diverse representation from any other demographic you might want to consider. But geography is one of our most important considerations so that the different cultures of the different states are represented, but also gender and um, race are very important elements as well. So when we're talking about ethics specific in the study of ethics in emergency management, what is the body of work that we can rely on to kind of move our students in that direction? Um, there is really a limited body of work in emergency management ethics, and that is part of what the role of the SEG is engaged in. We have three subgroups that work, they're working groups. And one working group is a cataloging group where they are gathering all relevant ethics information from a wide array of fields and just straight ethics. And um, they have worked very hard over the last couple of years to really catalog available resources that can help scholars and practitioners infuse knowledge from other fields that's relevant to our field so we can start building our own curriculums and our own framework for professional function. There are the other two subgroups, working groups, are the framework development group and they are very extensively working on developing a decision-making framework for ethics before we can um, move on to developing a code of ethics. And that will be vetted. The draft will be out there and then it will be vetted by scholars, practitioners, students, the whole, the whole field encompassing the whole profession before it gets accepted and and integrated. So, so let me ask what, what, so ultimately we, so we have the purpose of developing a framework, framework for, um, of ethics for emergency management. What's the, 
what's the end goal um, for the for the um, ethics committee in your SIG group? The end goal is to have not only available resources, but to develop teaching resources for our our students in the future. Modules that other teachers can take take and infuse into their courses and programs. Um, and finally, to develop a set of professional ethics for decision making and a set of ethic ethics code. Um, that's a ways off, but that is the goal. Most professions, especially ones that are dealing with human lives, and they have a professional code of ethics of how they will be conducted professionally. And to differentiate, I know that the um, the organization IEM has mm -hmm. a code of ethics, but that's for the organization. It's not a professional code that's developed by the wide range of participants that exist in a profession and, and educators of a profession and the students coming into it. So for example, if somebody graduates as a nurse, they have a code of ethics for their professional function. If somebody graduates as a physical therapist, they have a code of ethics. A pharmacist does. Um, and the list goes on and on of the professional groups that have their own code of ethics. And we start with a framework to build that code of ethics. And it will take time and a lot of feedback from the whole, all the stakeholders. One of the things that I, I really ask my question a lot to myself and when I look at things I'm doing and I kind of stole this from Orson stole it, right? I mean, he preaches it. Simon Sinek, one of my favorite authors, and he talks about like your why and like, why do we do what we're doing? What is the why of the ethics SIG? I would say the largest why is to coin a phrase that was used in the 1960s uh, when medicine started to expand a lot of technology in, and integrate it into the function, the question became, who then shall live? Mm -hmm. And we are at a point in history where we have so many risks that have spread out across society and some elements of society bear more risk than others. Yeah. And um, the question really becomes our decisions and how we integrate stakeholders and how we use land planning, et cetera, et cetera. We're affecting people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes who then shall live or who's living and who's dying are based on our choices when a hazard event occurs. I teach a class uh, at, at UCI called the uh, social impacts of disaster. And what we really in, discuss there and explore is the fact that like, look, when we look at our disasters, when things happen, we have a segment of society, which you're going to, your upper middle class, middle class people who are able to escape pretty quickly from things they you know i mean if you think about things like um you know with covid for instance you have in, in new york city you have people that are leaving the city and going out either to the island or up into uh, up into uh, uh up into the catskills and whatnot to, to escape the city um they're still able to work remotely things like this right so um, i 
I talk about this, the idea of my, with my students of saying, Hey, we need to really focus on those who, who can't. Right. And, and that's really where we focus our, our, our efforts on either the homeless, um, people who have mobility issues, people who do not have the money to be able to move. You know, if you take a look at Katrina, for instance, those who got left behind, right. Were the ones that were impacted the most by the disaster. Is that what we're talking about specifically with the, with the ethics of it or, or do we treat, do we treat everybody uh, equally per se? You know, I do, you know, is it's, how do we, how do we measure that? Well, the measurement really is in the toll of human life and suffering, right? So what you are articulating is just that. How do we use the resources, the limited resources we have available to decrease and minimize human morbidity and mortality and suffering? That is the goal of emergency management. So that really, the dispensing of our resources and the management of our resources and the preparation for that and in building the resilience in our communities, we need to acknowledge that piece of the more vulnerable populations then. And, and it just brings more, um, those kind of things to our decision-making process. How do, I'm sorry, Daniel, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say to add to your point, Todd, and to and to um, uh, the the over, the overall question that you brought in is 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 applying uh, equity over equality. Um, so there's there's a difference between between the two, and you know not everybody needs the same amount of resources. Not everybody needs the same amount of, right. of attention. Um, so how do you and, and and go to your point, Todd? Not th- those who can uh, get out early and and have the resources and the ability to do so. Um, so they don't necessarily need um, the resources that we have to provide as an emergency management or as, as first responders or however however we're going to go in. The, but there's those there that need that. And then, so you look at equity over equality um, in those areas and you're giving the people what they need as they need it uh, versus everybody's getting treated the same um, because not everybody can react the same way. So, you know, it goes it goes along with the uh, the, the ethics and decision making is is how do we apply it in, in, in our decision-making to those who actively need it at the moment? Well, it's also really important to acknowledge that we live in a dynamic time where we have evolving hazard exposures and concentrated risks. And so emergency managers are continuously having to make difficult and unclear value-based decisions. And a framework will really be an important guidance in that process. Our current context demands that we better articulate the moral basis for our actions in our field. Awesome. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we come back from the break, I want to kind of delve into adding ethics into our decision-making process. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from... I'm so happy to be introducing our newest sponsor, VanQuest Tough Build Gear. VanQuest was founded with a simple mission. Build the toughest bags and packs for your everyday carry and help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011 right here in Orange County, California. And their bags and packs have been 
trusted by clients such as the FBI and the U.S. Secret Service and U.S. Special Operations Command. BankWest Bags and Packs offer the best organization and user-friendly experience such as high-visibility interior for users to find the essential gear quick. I'm telling you, that's such a great addition because I'm always looking for stuff in my bags and that orange background makes it so easy to find. You know, VanQuest is offering fast shipping and a lifetime warranty. And if you act now, you can get 5% off by using the discount code EMWEEKLY, all capitals. VanQuest has the expertise to help you stay organized and prepared. And don't forget, VanQuest.com. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Well, <laughs> welcome back from that break. Thank you for hearing words from our sponsors. You know, without them, we can't uh, bring you the quality um, that uh, the quality programming that we're bringing you. And you know, Titan HST, uh, you know, for your communication needs, and of course, uh, VanQuest for uh, for all those bags. And by the way, did you know, Daniel, that uh, with VanQuest right now, if you put in EM Weekly, completely all capitals, you get actually ten percent off your next purchase. So. Anyway, so that's awesome. So before we went on the break, uh, we discussed the idea of, uh, of of adding ethics into your decision making process. So h- how can we do that as as emergency managers? Well, you can begin by participating in the ethics SIG, and it's open to all people. So if you're interested, you can go to the FEMA Higher Education program website and the, the contact information will be there if you're interested in joining the SIG and I know that both Daniel and Todd are part of the RSIG now. Um, the other part is to start re- researching the resources that are out there to and to advance your education. Um, beyond your personal ethics, really start thinking about how you integrate ethical principles and uh, into your stakeholder discourse as you will um, ongoing with your stakeholders, having conversations and making decisions. Um, can we be more specific? The, well, the program is not so developed yet. I'd like to I'd like to bring the conversation to uh, so you 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 wrote a document the uh, the uh, next generation core competency competencies um, that is being used um, widely in education and through FEMA. Can you discuss that a little bit? Talk about that. Yes, um, the foundations for our learning objectives for the next generation of our emergency management workforce that's being prepared through education as opposed to the experience that past past emergency managers have come out of highly experienced technical roles. Um, As we move forward as a profession, our new workforce is going to be influenced by education to 
get them up to speed quicker because we need a, a faster turnover rate in the workforce. Um, so to build a foundation for educators, the next, there was a first generation core competencies that was developed by Dr. Wayne Blanchard. Uh, in 2016, 15, 16, and 17, a working group wor worked on developing the next generation core competencies for today and 2030 and beyond. Um, there were 14 competencies that were developed, and then there were behavioral anchors and uh, actionable tasks that could provide measures for educators to assess their progress and achievement of those competencies. One of the competencies was abiding by professional ethics. And of course, we just acknowledge that we have not fully developed our professional code of ethics or our professional framework of ethical decision-making, but yet some of the basic ethical components for behavioral anchors fall under respect, veracity, justice, integrity, service, duty to protect, and then of course, integrating ethical principles into stakeholder discourse. So how can we, so um, as, as an educator, and, we, and we're moving into uh, you know, the different degrees that are out there, different programs um, versus, you know, they have uh, lots of master's programs and looking for bachelor's programs and even associates or certificate programs. How can we apply that in the way we're teaching uh, not only the next generation core competencies, but as the uh, ethics as we're moving forward and pushing for the next generation of practitioner. Well, and those things all depend on from program to program, but as the emergency management is professionalizing further, there are, for, there are a lot of activities happening to improve the professionalization process. The core competencies serve as a foundation. The next steps are standardization and accreditation of programs, uh, development of the professional framework of ethics and the professional code of ethics. These are all building blocks for the foundation of really professionalizing the emergency management. So from the education perspective, the core competencies really inform what we need to be teaching and how to be teaching. And then there's measures that go with that, the objectives and the, to be able to be evaluating and assessing our learning objectives. Do you think we should add like an ethical decision-making um, process class, like essay EMI or, or through um, the the, uh, the independent study programs, or or and this is the other thing. Or do you think we should add an ethics component to each of the classes that is being taught? Well, I see that students. My uh, experience with students is that if things are taught in silos, they think in silos and they don't see the connectivity with the other things. So, my personal opinion and it's just my personal opinion, is that ethics component be taught as a module within every one of their courses because then they see how the ethics of that aspect is relevant to that 
considerations. So if it's a communications class, what are the ethics around communications? If it's a recovery class, what are the ethics around recovery? If it's a research class, what are the research ethics? So I think it, it works better to infuse it across the curriculum rather than, but other places have a specific ethics course. So it really is a programmatic decision. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree with that. Sorry, one of our listeners actually kind of chimed in. It says, "In researching ethics for this approach, did research did researchers see difference in in ethics in EM per, uh, between permanent EM directors versus uh, somebody who's on a rotation uh, agency, or as you would say, the uh, collateral duty emergency manager?" Not really clear on what that's asking. Do do and, and the way I'm looking at this and the way he asked the question is. Um, do you see that people who permanently are professional emergency managers have more take more ethical considerations in the decision making process than, say, the uh, collateral duty emergency manager? Oh, I see. Um, that totally depends on the person. <laughs> it does. I can answer that question just as a pra- being a practitioner uh, in both and seeing it and seeing it take place. Um, and, and with in working in the ethics, uh, uh, the SIG, I've been involved in it for a little over a year now since the since the last year's um, uh, symposium. Um, but yes, there is a there is a difference, and it, and it is the individual and how they apply it. Especially when you have someone who considers himself a full time emergency management professional versus someone who does other duties as a sign, or maybe in a rotation, and it takes them to two years. It depends on how long the rotation is. In one of my first volunteer uh, places. Um, in, in Fresno, uh, California, it was on a two-year rotation. So by the time someone came in not knowing emergency management, by the time they learned emergency management, it was time for them to rotate out again. Um, so uh, you have either, and it could be the, the organization, but it's the, how the individual and the individual that I worked with in Fresno took every step um, he could to really become an emergency manager. He got certificates. He, he knew how to apply it. He, he taught it. He, he went to every class he could. So that's that in my as an ethical emergency manager, someone who takes the time to learn their job because their job impacts others versus right. someone who just comes in, I'm going to do my time and I'm going to get out. And it's an, mm-hmm. it's an individual thing. But as we advance towards a more professionalized status, we are going to see this changing. And so the core competencies represent the basic foundational competencies that emergency managers should have and be prepared for through their education. So as we're transitioning to getting a new workforce that comes out of education, we need to consider ethics as a professional ethics as a component across all our functions. Absolutely. You know, I I always find this uh, fascinating. And, you know, when I was an undergrad, you know, we had to take ethics courses, uh, part of my public administration program. Um, matter of fact, we took three ethics courses, uh, critical thinking um, and philosophy. Uh, you know, so it was those are really added into how we make decisions. Um, and I think it's important that when we take a look at how we're making decisions and, and what the ethics are behind it. And it's and, you know, I mean, I know people sometimes think of ethic decision making as like, you know, should I not steal this pencil or should I not? do this but it's it's more on the idea of how do we at the, at the end of the day as emergency managers right we're public servants right even if you're working at a hospital 
or whether you're working, you know, wherever you're at, the decisions that we're making are global decisions. They're not departmental decisions. You know, they're impacting lives. And, and so going through that ethical decision-making process of saying, how do we do, you know, I hate the term. I don't hate it. The term doing the, the, the greatest good for the greatest amount of people, right? That idea. Um, yeah. Okay. Sure. Right. But if you have, you know, 80% of your people are able to, to evacuate because they have the means to, does that mean that we leave that 20% behind? Well, I, I would argue no, right? So I, I would like to twist that a little bit. I would like to say as emergency managers, we need to do the greatest good for those who can't do for themselves. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. And, and I'll leave it there. And I know we're getting close to the end and so I'll let you guys finish it off. But Daniel, what do you think? Am I wrong? No, you're not. You're not wrong, and, I, and that's and that's kind of goes back to my point about equity over equality. You know, is it, those who can do for themselves, it's great. Let them do. We need to help those who cannot do for themselves. Um, so yeah, it brings it back to that. Um, but I think ultimately this whole thing, and especially emergency management as a profession, and this is how you know when I have this conversation, I myself am an emergency management professional, and I carry myself as such. And emergency management is so diverse in, in, in itself. I mean, it's applied in the, in the healthcare. It's applied um, in, in, in uh, the military. It's applied in private industry, public industry. It's applied everywhere. Applied in higher education. It's applied, you know, so in, in elementary school, K through 12, it doesn't matter. Emergency management can be applied. And a lot of those who work in emergency management work in it and they don't, and they're not necessarily in places where they can make decisions, but they're doing a job. And they're doing it the best they can. And our goal is to expand that, professionalize it, um, uh, popularize it, really make it more popular, make it more, uh, more of a voice, give it more of a voice. And the ethics that go behind those decisions um, that we are making in the job uh, is a big part of it. And that's, and, and, and that's my view on it. And I think you're 100% on the, on the mark, Todd. So I think that the, um, it comes back to the key question that emergency managers need to realize that they have a huge role in who gets to live and who dies when there is a hazard event. And so in the preparation process, the inclusion of all stakeholders is really vital. Absolutely. Well, Shirley, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure to see you again, uh, you know, during this COVID time. I look forward to you know, run into you again at some of the conferences and whatnot. But everybody who's interested in learning more uh, about what you're doing, how can they find you? They can find me at California State University's website for emergency services administration or through the FEMA Higher Education website. The Ethics SIG has my contact information as well as Dr. Sandy Smith's contact information for joining the SIG. And we welcome all new participants. Sure. Thank you so much for your time today. Brian, Brian welcome back. Our, our, right there. Thank you so much for everything you're thank doing you. in the background there, Brian. Daniel, thank you for your time as well. And everybody, don't forget, you know, check out our sponsors. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, uh, on your favorite podcast player. And uh, as Mackenzie says, stay safe and stay hydrated. Thank you.